0: I can't tell you how many times I've had people be like, you're like a translator. Like I hear (laughs) what he says. And when you say it after he said it, I get it. And then I can hear him after that. But I just need to understand why he says it the way he does. And it's just because you guys speak on different languages. There are different personality types. And a thinker speaks differently than a feeler. And my job is to hear it and to translate it for you. So then you hear from then on what they're saying.
1: I think you just convinced so many people to try couples therapy. Yes! Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey, mamas, and welcome back to season two of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, and I'm so excited to be hanging out in your ear again after taking a short pause for some life stuff. My family recently relocated from one part of Germany to the other, and we've been busy getting settled in, unpacking, and I'm currently talking to you from my bedroom closet. I've got tons of valuable conversations and under-discussed motherhood topics lined up for you this season. There's so many directions I want to go in and so many topics I want to unpack that it's actually been difficult narrowing it down to a starting off point. Anyway, we've got to start up again somewhere, and I wanted to start the season off by focusing on something that affects women, mothers, and parents of all stages, not just the newborn stage or the toddler stage, which, side note, is my current reality and tends to influence which direction my brain wants to go in. Okay, so in today's episode, we're tackling a big one. We're talking about relationships with our partners and how they shift and change after having children, and continue to shift and change throughout our parenting and individual journeys. I'm going to be unpacking this topic with Katie Rossler, a licensed professional counselor and transformative grief guide who's worked with numerous mothers and couples over the last decade and a half navigating relationship post-parenthood. She'll share the most common struggles she has both experienced in her own relationship and counseled couples and parents through. She'll talk about how it's okay to grieve the people we were or the relationship we had before kids. And finally, she'll leave us with some great ideas on how to communicate better in our relationships. I'll also share some experiences from moms in the Raise Your Hand Motherhood community, so don't go anywhere. In fact, you might want to go grab your partner or co-parent and listen in together to this one. Get ready to raise your hand, mamas. Here we go again. I don't know if it's just me, but talking about relationship difficulties after kids seems particularly taboo. We all know that it's way more socially acceptable to share a cute photo of your child or your family on social media than it is to share about the strain and the changes in your relationship since becoming parents of that little tiny person. Or that snarky little teenager, whatever stage you're at. Hashtag this is us, hashtag smile for the camera, hashtag social media is just a snapshot. I've said it before, mamas, and I'll say it again and again. Talking about our struggles in motherhood is hard enough. It's why so many women struggle in silence, and it's why so many moms feel alone in their motherhood journey. But even if you're a mother that's found a community of like-minded mom friends, or a mom who's found a number of helpful and honest social media accounts or blogs to follow online, some things are still just not commonly discussed. I'm not sure what it is exactly that makes relationship changes after children seem so off-limits. Maybe it just seems too private to share about, or maybe we find it selfish to focus on anything other than the health and well-being of our child or our children or maybe we're terrified to share because like with so many other silent struggles in motherhood and in parenthood, we are honest to God afraid that we're the only ones struggling in our relationships after kids, and it's just too goddamn vulnerable to admit otherwise. We hold our relationships and our partnerships up to others that we see around us, and it's so easy to fall into the comparison trap, just like we do with our kids when we think things like, is my child developing fast enough? Or why is my kid such a picky eater? Or why can't we talk with our teen the way so-and-so talk with theirs? Maybe you've caught yourself looking at other parents and couples in your network and thinking things like, God, they make everything look so easy. I bet they never argue. Or where in the hell do they find time for date nights? Or they seem more in love than ever since having kids. I wish my partner and I still had that level of intimacy. And maybe, maybe those things are all true. And if so, good for those parents, good for those couples. But we have to remember, oftentimes what we see is just what's on the surface. It's the tip of the iceberg. The photos and the videos that make the cut for Instagram. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. We don't hear the backstories or know the relationship phases that these parents, we compare ourselves to, have gone through already, and yet we hold those relationships and parents up based on assumptions we've made about them. And then we compare ourselves to them and we feel bad about where we are, when for all we know, those parents are doing the exact same thing themselves with other couples. God, I hate the comparison trap so much. But when you have an overactive mind like I do that just spins and spins and finds things to worry and stress about, it's so easy to fall down the rabbit hole into doom and gloom. Okay, so what are some of the most common struggles relationships face post-parenthood? I asked the Raise Your Hand Motherhood community to share some of their stories and experiences.
2: Hey, Raylin. This is Ann Visser. I am a coach, speaker, and trainer with For Better Forever. I work with people who want to have better relationships through better communication. And you asked a great question. What has been the biggest and most unexpected change in your relationship since having children? So I've been married for 42 years. I had five children in six years. I was pregnant one month after we were married. So we worked together very very long in marriage before we had children and a lot of children. It was a lot of busyness. I think what surprised me the most or what was the biggest or most unexpected change was how many and how varied the needs within our little family were. Every little individual was so different and so unique. I often complained to God, why didn't you send a manual with this child? because I don't understand them. And I think that was the biggest challenge or unexpected change that happened. And so because of that, I found that took a lot of headspace thinking about children, which put our relationship and marriage kind of on pause. And now I know that those first three years of marriage are so vitally important because we're forming new habits together—new habits in communication, new habits in how we're going to have sex, new habits in how we're going to use our how we're going to use our money and deal with our finances. All of these are happening in the first three years, and we were very busy with children in those first three years. And so how it impacted us in our relationship was it actually created some emotional space within our marriage that um, we needed to get back to once we found our sane minds again. It created... Uh, a closed space and just our ability to be able to communicate and have time together because there were so many little needs that needed to be attended to, which I love being a mom and I loved having children at home. Now they're all growing and I get to enjoy my grandchildren.
3: The most unexpected change and struggle in my relationship with my partner since becoming parents is the lack of time and energy that we have for each other because we are doing so many things all of the time for so many other people, which is something that people talk about. But what I didn't expect is that it would oftentimes feel easier to go find a different partner because that would mean we shared custody and then I would have blocks of time to be myself and actually be with somebody else in a romantic relationship. What I also didn't expect was how difficult it would be to figure out if our relationship issues were because of something with us and, you know, compatibility or trauma, or if it was really just a logistics issue of we are moving in so many directions all of the time that it's simply hard to connect.
0: For... My husband and me, I think since becoming parents, the hardest thing for us has been the intimacy. We are in love and our relationship is better than ever, but we just can't manage to get that time alone. And it's not even an issue of kids in the bed, uh, or you know, someone walking in, its we're just exhausted. My head hits the pillow at the end of the day and I'm just instantly asleep. It's like before having kids, you had a really hard day every once in a while like that. And you'd get home from work or you'd finally get home and you'd just be exhausted.
4: And now I feel like it's every single day. <laughs> Once we had a baby, we were consumed with meeting our child's needs, figuring out how to get them to sleep and take care of them, and we were really in over our heads having a baby and then having a toddler, and we really did nothing to spend time together to care about our relationship. We were exhausted. We were just trying to keep our heads above water being parents. And before we knew it, years passed, and we really had not spent any time on our connection or nurturing our relationship as a couple. And we managed to get through it and survive it, but it's really taken its toll. We still don't really know how to prioritize our connection and spending time as a couple. So that would definitely be uh, what not to do when you have children. It's really important to figure out ways to spend time together, keep the connection strong, and try to feel like adults and not just parents all the time. But it is really hard and we definitely did not figure it out. Um, This is Absinne Maradian, founder of MLC Homeschool Coaching. After my daughter was born,
3: um, my husband is Canadian and I am Filipina. So the very first thing that the struggle and the challenge is we grew up in different culture and my way of raising our daughter is different from his way and sometimes we clash on things that I wanted to do and he wanted a different way and also after my daughter was born our me time and intimate time have died down a little bit we have less time because I'm breastfeeding full-time and then I'm working full-time as well so that's it
2: Hey, it's Carly from the Labor Lessons Podcast. The most unexpected change in my relationship with my partner since having kids has been having a sex schedule. I know it sounds funny, and it takes the spontaneity out of things, but it eliminates the awkwardness of, hey, tonight, or I'm so tired, babe. It gives us both something to look forward to the day of and helps ensure that we maintain that physical connection in the midst of all the chaos that is parenting.
1: So what do you think, mamas? Did you hear anything just now that made you nod your head or maybe raise your hand and think, oh man, yep, that sounds familiar? If so, you're not alone. I'll be right back with Katie Rossler to talk about relationship changes after parenthood. So don't go anywhere. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. So glad to have you here. Katie, first of all, can I just say how exciting it is to be able to connect with you, a fellow expat mom living in Germany, on opposite side of the country, albeit, but nevertheless, I'm thrilled to have you on on the podcast today. So thank you for being here.
0: Thank you. And I love connecting with expat moms because there's, I mean, man, we have a lot to connect over. (laughs) There's a lot of challenges and transitions that is so nice to feel normal when you talk to fellow moms.
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. And I find that so many struggles of motherhood are just amplified by the fact that I'm an expat. I'm not sure if you can relate to that as well.
0: Totally. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I'd like to start off, Katie, by asking you to share a little bit about yourself and how you've come to be where you are, both professionally and locationally.
0: Yeah, so um, I'm Katie Russler. I'm a transformative grief guide and licensed counselor. Um, I have written two books and um, created a a methodology for helping people work on their hidden grief. Um, I came to Germany six years ago uh, married my husband almost 10 years ago and, um, and married a man with an accent as always, they hook us and then they make Germany (laughs) sound so romantic. And then we're like, of course we'll move there. No, I, I grew up in a military family, so we've lived in Germany before. Okay. I was quite comfortable here. My dad had been stationed here again when I was in college and I came to visit him a couple of times. And so it was like, Oh, this is home away from home. Exactly. Like I, you know, I know <laughs> the food and I know the culture. So I felt really comfortable. Um, and yeah, my husband and I, we fell in love, and it was something very early on that was discussed that we would live here. So it wasn't something that I was like, well, no. I, I had already said yes. We definitely several times talked again. Is this really what we want? Is this really what you want, Katie? Because it's a big transition. And yeah, so uh, six years ago, we ended up here. And professionally, I had a private practice in the States. I also had worked in like schools and did in-home counseling and then worked at a locked facility with teens for about two years. And then when I came here, I didn't think I'd be able to work at all. Um, the counseling world is very different here. Yes, And I don't have a PhD, uh, even though I feel like Life experiences and professional experiences. I could probably just, you know, honorarily get one. <laughs> uh, I, um, yeah, I was, I was grieving, thinking that I would have to just let go of that part of my life and just be a mom. And not that that is as negative, but I grew up with a stay-at-home mom who, in many ways, lost herself, and through my parents' divorce. She had to refine her dream of being a lawyer and she went to law school when I was in high school. So I knew that if anything ever happened, I could go back to my passion, but it was a, a tough transition. I loved being here in Germany, it was very honeymoon feeling for a couple of years, actually. Um, but a lot of life situations happened in the time we've been here. And one of those good life situations is I was able to still do my work in a little bit different capacity. Um, But I worked with couples for a long time here who were bicultural, bilingual, um, expats as well, and started really working with moms. And then through the loss of my own mom and two miscarriages, I started focusing more on grief Um, and not just grief related to death, but grief related to all parts of life, which I truly believe as moms, we actually know a lot about. Uh, We know we understand grief pretty well. We just don't always realize that's what it is.
1: I don't, the people who are listening can't see me. Um, but I just feel like I'm just like a bobblehead nodding along because I can relate to so much of what you just said as a mom, as an expat. Um, also as an, an expat who lived abroad before having kids and after having kids and sort of struggling with that loss of identity. And that's a whole other season of episodes that we could talk about. I find the topic of grief and sort of identity something that's really important to me and something that I want to cover a lot in this podcast to come so maybe we can talk some more dig in deep um I read online that you've been described as the sort of Brené Brown of grief and can you tell me a little bit more about your work as a transformative grief guide
0: yeah um so Grief is something that's, as a friend once said, very prickly. It's a very prickly word, Katie. <laughs> I was like, it is. Because we relate it only to, um, you know, a, a death or major loss. And after having my own major losses, um, I realized I'd felt this before. This feeling mm-hmm. of grief, this emptiness, this anger, this kind of shaking my fist at the the sky going, why? I felt it when my parents divorced. I felt it with every move that we made as a kid. I felt it as an expat. I felt it becoming a mom. I felt it through my own traumatic birth experiences. I have, I have three and I will say two of them were quite challenging. The third was challenging, um, post birth. Um, I, you know, I have felt it a lot. And then I realized, Uh, I felt it coming out of university into the work world. I had felt it throughout in a variety of ways. And that was when I started researching the term disenfranchised grief and came to understand that it's um, also called hidden grief. It's the grief that society doesn't recognize as so and doesn't believe you should be grieving because it isn't a death. Oh, interesting. And yet I think in life we go through a lot of cycles that are like many deaths many transitions and changes. And we love the analogy of turning into a butterfly growing. And and we love all of that, but we forget the part about being in a cocoon and the metamorphosis experience, which is actually quite uncomfortable. And (laughs) through that, I realized there was really a need, especially through the pandemic time, for people to better understand what grief is. Um, I wrote my book during the pandemic that first year. Uh, I was pregnant with our third and just started it kind of as journaling and then was like, nope, this is a book. Um, and it really started to shift how I identified myself because as a therapist, you know, we're trained to work a certain way. And the way I started working with clients was very different after that.
1: And can you share the name of the book? For Yeah, me? it's
0: called The New Face of Grief. And I uh, addressed throughout it a new mindset around grief as a tool for growth um, because it is – Grief and change are intertwined and change is a constant in life. And so the experience Hmm. we have after change of letting go of the way we thought life would go or should go is how we get to grieving. And so as soon as we start to recognize that, then we start to learn how to heal better. And we have to let go of a lot of false beliefs that we were told, suck it up, move on. Why are you crying? You shouldn't be upset about this. Um, or any people pleasers out there who just like, I won't feel it. I'll move forward. Yeah, yeah. We have to heal as, as a, um, a community individually and as a community, because the next generation is just going to keep on with this grief and it's going to keep impacting them. Um, and, I think there's a lot of changes in the parenting movements and things that are shifting and and people understanding things like inner child work, you know, some of these buzz terms are coming up, but all of it is really just facing grief Mm. and um, letting go of a lot of things. Um, And so that's where the term transformative grief guide, because I really do believe grief is transformative. And I don't believe anymore that, um, you know, I'm not an advice giver. I'm, I'm really just a guide kind of like shining light on your own life and saying, okay, well, what about this? Well, let's explore that, you know, and and right. allowing people to grieve where life doesn't go the way they thought it would, whether it be their career or parenthood or their relationship.
1: Or their relationship. Yep. And let's, let's segue there. Yep. So in this episode, we're talking specifically about changes and struggles in our relationships with our partners after becoming parents. How did parenthood affect your relationship with your partner?
0: Oh, man. How did it not? (laughs) (laughs) How did it not? Well, you know, I would say the first thing was I fell into how I thought a mom and wife should look based on my own kind of programming, how I saw it in my home I definitely brought my own parents' issues. We all bring our own baggage into our relationship. You don't come into it clean. No matter how much therapy you've done, a new relationship <laughs> will kick up things you didn't realize were like habits because you saw right. it. it was natural. So becoming a parent then shifted how I acted and what I started to become bitter about mm-hmm. and frustrated about. And so we we already were like masters at arguing we're both, you know, um, uh, first child, very stubborn, <laughs> determined go getters, you know, so we were already really good at arguing. So that brought up a whole new level. Um, and yeah, I mean, it also changed our intimacy. It changed how we just connected on a regular basis. Yeah. I, the thing that just keeps coming back is like, what would make me angry was very different once I became a mom. Right. Okay. And it wasn't always because my partner was doing stuff. It was because my belief system around what he should do or what I should do was versus that we had a conversation of like, what are our expectations? What does Mm -hmm. that look like? (laughs) You know, what is, and are they realistic? Um, That shifted a lot. When we had two, we still were facing a lot of the issues around who does what without having a conversation about it. Okay. And often that's what happens is couples just go into parenthood without a discussion of like, okay, well, who is really taking care of the home and who takes care of this parts of things and who remembers the birthday party gifts and who does the shots and like at the doctor. And um, we fell into traditional roles without meaning to in many ways. And then with our third, there was a big shift and we started communicating a lot more like what is actually realistic.
1: Was that because it needed to happen at that point? Yeah. If it didn't happen, then...
0: Yeah. We both had grown a lot. And um, not that it needed to take three kids and, and two losses in between the second and third, but we had grown a lot. My husband had realized a lot about himself. We'd had many conversations about why is it this way? Why does it fall on my shoulders to do this? Who taught you that, you know, and, and yes, as a therapist, I am geared towards asking those questions, but as a partner, even more so, because I mm-hmm. didn't want to repeat some of the mistakes my parents made. Um, and so we, it was a lot of difficult conversations and a lot of, you know, well, I stopped taking care of the home. Like I would just be like, I'm, I Dad. quit, <laughs> I'm yeah. out. And he's like, you can't quit. And, um well, then we need to talk about how we do this. And actually this last summer vacation, we are reading to, I read it and then I do the workbook type stuff with him, the 80, 80 marriage, which I highly recommend. And it's shifting for both of us, our perspective on why we do what we do and no more of the, because um, the 50, 50 marriage I've known for years does not work. It, it's bitterness, it's frustration. It will never be equal. Um, mm. And the, the more we let go of that need for things to be equal, the more freeing it is. But that doesn't mean it goes back to the 80, 20 where one person does it all. It means we start to do the things that we're actually really good at in the home. Like my husband's amazing at organizing things. The other day I was like, honey, will you please organize our fridge? Like if you organize it, I'll keep it that way. (laughs) But like, I just, you know, I take everything out and I'm like, I put it back the way it was. And I go, okay, that makes sense. You know? And he's like, oh, we should put these things here and these things here. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Awesome!
1: So (laughs) your German husband sounds like my German husband. (laughs) Oh gosh, I'm
0: sure amazing at packing the car. It's always perfectly packed. Tetris 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 Master. Yep. Yeah. Um, But that book really started to change our vocabulary, and and even doing couple therapy for as long as I did, I'd have these conversations with people, but I, I didn't recognize how to navigate them. And so it always works How to do it for yourself first before you work with others on it. But it it was really pivotal in changing us recently. And I would say things have improved drastically because now we've had the conversations in a whole different way. It is very hard when you, as the partner say, I don't like that this, and I don't, I need more help. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, I feel overwhelmed too. If my partner was like, I need more help. And I'm like, okay, I'm already working, you know, eight to five, I'm driving through an hour of traffic and then you want me home and I need to help more. And, but what is that? And when yeah. do I get to relax? Like I get it. And often in relationships, we don't know how to communicate what we need because we just feel overwhelmed and we've lost our creativity and we just throw our overwhelmness on our partner and then they throw theirs on us. And then we're left fighting. It's
1: a big pile of overwhelm. Yeah this this might be i'm um interested to ask you this it might be different because you're coming from the experience of a counselor a therapist and have worked with couples but when was it that you realized women and parents everywhere were struggling with relationship changes after becoming parents and that it wasn't just you it wasn't just your relationship was there an aha moment was there a conversation that you had
0: You know, honestly, in my master's program, um, so this marriage and family, so it was in our marriage class. There's literally a graph in the textbooks of marriage satisfaction once you have kids, and it drops significantly. It's like a huge like roller coaster. You're at the bottom, and it takes a long time for it to go back up. So I already knew in theory this happens. Hearing other moms, once I became a mom, share helped. Then social media for those like support groups, maybe you're in or community groups mm-hmm. where it's just moms who are, like occasionally will be like, oh, my God, my husband did this. And like 200 people respond. Then you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not alone. That was the shift. So I already knew in theory the research that it does impact it. Um, so as a couple therapist, therapists, I was prepared for that. But again, you don't realize you bring your own conditioning from your childhood of how a relationship works, how motherhood or parenthood works, whether you try to go the opposite or you end up staying in the same lane out of habit. um, That is where most couples get it wrong is they don't analyze that part of themselves.
1: And what would you say are the most common struggles that you see parents having in their relationship with each other?
0: So communication usually gets shot. Again, it's vague communication. I need help. I need you to do more. I'm, I'm tired of all this stuff. Like, okay, what is all this stuff you're tired of? Like, it's just not succinct. We tend to lecture more when we get mm-hmm. to that point. Um, another thing I, I see, and this drives me insane every time, whichever parent is the one who takes care of the kids more, you will spend more money,
4: mm-hmm. period. Period.
0: And the other partner is going to have a hard time with that because it's like, you know what you spend all you spend so much money. Yeah, because they're the one who has to take care of all those things. So finances are always a fight, but it's usually a misunderstanding of the roles and who does what and and how that will look. Having a grade schooler and a kindergartner and now one in CRIPA like yours mm-hmm the beginning of this school year, I was even like, Oh my God, I'm spending so much money. Like this is going to really cause some issues, but it didn't because we've had had the conversations of the understanding of, I am going to be the one who buys the shoes and the school clothes and the supplies. And it is going to be more. And, you know, come November, December, it won't be like that, but yeah, these two months, it will be more because there'll be that third, you know, materials list that you didn't expect to get. And you've got to go purchase mm-hmm. those things. Um, So, money tends to be. Usually, there's a partner who wants more sex or more physical intimacy. And for the parent who's holding that kid all day long or has more of the fussiness around them, they're touched out. They don't really want to do more physical touch. And so that tends to become a fight. You know, we don't connect. You don't want to have a date night with me. All you do is talk about the kids. Every time we sit down at dinner, all you want to do is plan. Mm. And couples forget how to just get to know each other and talk about the things they enjoy. And it's usually because one of them is so focused on like only work and a little bit less about the kids and the others focus on work and kids or only kids and the home and what needs to get done. I often find that it is learning each other's new identity and remembering you're still your old self and you can connect on that still.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the sort of stay-at-home mom dynamic and how that can play into relationship struggles? And by that I mean like you've talked a little bit about how identities shift and change as well, like our personal identities and the whole like finances um yeah. struggle element. And coming from my own experience as a stay-at-home mom who now lives abroad again, you know, I'm a teacher by trade, mm-hmm. but can't teach my subject or my in my native language where I'm currently living. And so just how that can sort of play into relationship dynamics as well after becoming parents.
0: Yeah. So so if we're saying the stay at home parent is mom, the stay at home mom, um, if she had a career beforehand, like you have shared, there is a lot of grieving when we have to let go of that. Even if we're like, I really want to stay home with my child. I really want to, you know, we don't get the affirmations, the acknowledgements, the thank yous, the praise that we do in the work world in our home life. And we can't expect our partner and our child to fulfill those needs. So it, it becomes really difficult. And I, I um, for a long time, I had a program called from stay at home mom to chief household officer because I was like, you're you are the CHO of your home. You're managing, you're leading it, but your mom identity is separate from that. So you're not failing as a mom or a wife when you forget something or, you know, you're not sure what you're making for dinner that night. That's managing a home. That's separate. But we have to, because I did the same thing. We moved here. I really full on stay at home mom had to grieve the old identity Mm -hmm. and figure out how to bring some of myself into this stay at home mom role my husband and I had to better understand expectations. And in the beginning, we didn't talk about that as I shared, it was a lot of just assumptions based on our family dynamics where we grew up with. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of discussions a little bit later on after our second was born of like, why do I have to do this? Like, who does this actually fall upon? And, and navigating that piece is crucial, but it's also really important. You have those conversations from a very calm space, Where you both can hear, we often come at it out of aggravation and I'm done. We've thrown our hands up and we've said, I I can't anymore. And so our partner is receiving this like wave of like tsunami of like, I'm over it. And they don't know how to (laughs) navigate that, which is why it's great to go and speak with a therapist, even if it's for just a few sessions for difficult conversations. I I can't tell you how many times I've had people be like, you're like a translator. Like I hear what he (laughs) says. And when you say it after he said it, I get it. And then I can oh, hear man. him after that. But I just need to understand why he says it the way he does and it's just because you guys speak on different languages. There are different personality types and a thinker speaks differently than a feeler and my job is to hear it and to translate it for you so then you hear from then on what they're saying.
1: Um, I think you just convinced I think you just convinced so many people to try couples therapy just in that little yeah. soundbite.
0: Yes. I mean, honestly, it doesn't hurt. And it's, it's just like, um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy for us moms, especially, you know, often we like pick a doctor and we stay with that same doctor, even if we don't like them, don't do that. Go find a therapist you really like, ask them difficult questions. What is your relationship? Like, what are, what are the things you do to take care of yourself? What are your anger outlets and stuff? Like you want to know that this person's practicing with the preach. And we don't get asked enough questions. We're just assumed to be the experts just because we've done the education and we, you know, ask me difficult questions about my own relationship and what I do before I go and counsel you on yours. Right. So (laughs) That's, you know, I'm sorry to all the therapists who now are going (laughs) to coach (laughs) us, but put us on the hot seat. It's okay. If we can't handle it, we're not the therapist for you. And it is very important that both partners feel comfortable in therapy. And that was something that I always, you know, I'd, I'd have wives come to me like, I don't know if he's going to. And I said, I promise just let him meet me because I challenge both partners and that always made the other partner feel better. Oh, it's not, you're not only on the women's side cause you're also a mom. You're on both of our sides. You're going to challenge both of us. And that always makes it feel good. And they'll be like, That's right. She said, and what I find is the husband in arguments brings up my name more than the wife does. Do you remember? Katie said we're supposed to, and I'm like, good. I want that because it's the partner who's usually against the therapy thinking this is wrong or bad, or or if we can't figure it out, if they start to bring in the therapy into the arguments, good, because that means change is going to start happening.
1: Right. Now, Katie, you you also offer an online course called How to Kid Proof Your Marriage. Yes. Yes, I do. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that course?
0: Yeah. So I was finding with couples of young kids, I was teaching the same exact things every time. And so I realized like, okay, not everybody can make their schedules work. Not everybody can get their partner on board with meeting with somebody. But saying, hey, let's take 15 to 20 minutes a night for the next couple of nights or once a week to watch these videos and do the workbook together and talk about it. People can do that. And so I created, um, how to kid proof your marriage and healthy arguing two separate courses, but sometimes I'm, I'll bundle them together because truly that's what we need in the beginning. We need to improve mm-hmm. how we argue. Cause it's not, don't argue that when you don't argue, I'm worried too. I'm like, okay, guys, you're like, oh, we don't argue very much. I'm like, okay, what's wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> who's imploding? Who's holding on mm-hmm. to it? Cause that's actually probably not healthy. So both of those I think are really important courses and it gives you tools immediately and actionable things you can do. And often in therapy, people walk away just feeling like all we did was vent and then maybe got a couple good pointers. It really has the resources to say, okay, here's, you know, if you argue like this, like there's a, a an arguing style test that I give in the beginning of the course for healthy arguing. If you argue like this, these are the small little steps we take towards going towards more neutral, healthier arguing. You know, if you argue like this, these are the steps you take versus like, Hey, overnight, I expect you to change. Stop being mm-hmm. the pusher and you're arguing or stop rolling over every time. Well, that's not realistic. Um, right. and how to kid proof your marriage. It's, how do we know each other's love language and actually understand how to do them in practical ways when we have kids and how do we find time to connect when maybe we can't afford a babysitter or we don't have family or friend support? Like, what does that look like? So it's, it's all practical tools. It's not, you know, a space to just like, Oh, let me just unload on my partner in this workbook. It's like, no, what are we actually going to do to improve things? And then from that, if you're like, wow, I'm still bitter. Or I'm still struggling and we need accountability. I mean, that's when I always say, like, like, give me a call. Then that's time to actually come and do the work. But at least both of you have learned some tools and tried to put them in practice. So then you can say, okay, now we know what we need to work on specifically.
1: Right. And I'm going to make sure I link all of those courses in the show notes for the episode. What's your advice, Katie, for a parent listening today who just feels stuck in an unhappy season of their relationship or who's maybe grieving the couple or the relationship that they had with their partner before having kids?
0: Oh my goodness. Yes. I would just say, number one, you're not alone. Here I am as a therapist and I've had so many seasons like that. Um, Often what I'm having to grieve is my own identity and my own shifts and changes and who I've become, and maybe there's areas of it I'm not happy with. uh, Our partner is often a mirror to the things in ourselves we're not happy about. You know, if we're like, oh, you're always on your phone. Well, check and see what your phone schedule is (laughs) like. How often are you on your phone? Or I don't feel like you actually respect or listen to me. Well, do you respect and listen to yourself? Mm. Or are you doing things to yourself to put you last? So I would say that is to reflect on yourself. Not that we're not going to point the finger. We'll point the finger at your partner all day long if that's what you need. But I also really encourage that we look at ourselves. And then from that, we can come at a conversation with our partner about what we're unhappy with from a much more healed place. If I go to my husband and I'm like, you're always this, you're always late for dinner. And you're like at dinner, I can tell you don't even care. And then you're like snapping at the kids and then we're fighting. I don't expect my partner to be able to hear me because I wouldn't hear them. It's the same with parenting, right? If we're just yelling at the kids, they can't hear us. They just see emotion. Mm -hmm. But if I say, hey, I'm really noticing I'm starting to want to escape from reality a lot more. You know, having that glass of wine at the end of the day isn't because I enjoy wine anymore. It's because I don't want to feel this. And I'm going to start working on it. And I just want you to be aware of that, that I know that I'm not always the perfect partner because I'm really not happy with where I am in my life. You don't need to tell them what they're doing wrong. You don't need to tell them maybe you, you should reflect on this too because you just going ahead and shifting how you are is going to change the system. And if over time you find your partner isn't working on themselves and isn't changing and you then later have some calm conversations about, Hey, it really bothers me that you do these things or that this isn't important to you and it doesn't shift. Then you can decide, is this a relationship I want to stay in? And, I worried about how it will impact my child or my children. Um, But often we'll jump to leaving a relationship before we've actually done the own self-reflection. And then we go into another relationship and we bring our problems that we haven't worked on on ourselves. So Mm -hmm. I typically work with individuals first before I do the couples work because I really have them sit with their own things that they need to face. Like I said, like for me, it was deconditioning a lot of what I grew up with in my childhood that I didn't like, but I was doing because it was habit. Yeah. Right. I would not have fully been able to do that in couple therapy because I would have to
1: work on yourself first. Yeah.
0: I would have focused on him. I would have focused on Mm -hmm. what he's doing wrong instead of saying, ah, my expectation that he as a dad will look like this is because of this. And it's Mm -hmm. not realistic for either of us. Mm hmm. And it is very easy for us to point the finger at other people and not to say that they don't do wrong things because of course, you know, but it is all a cycle. I tend to have couples slow down their arguing style and I go, okay, and she says this and then it sets you off and does this because once we slow down the cycle, then we start to see how we both add to the problem.
1: I hope that people listening are able to take as much away from this conversation as I have taken away from it. Katie, it's been so Wonderful talking to you about all of these topics, and I can't wait to have a re-listen myself so that I can apply what I could apply to my own relationship, to my own story, my own motherhood story. Would you like to take a moment right now to speak about where people can find you online, how they can access your programs, your courses, and anything else that you're you're offering at the moment?
0: Yeah, so you can find me at com. Um, From there, you can find my books, um, both The New Face of Grief and Giving Birth to Motherhood. Um, You can find access to my courses and things. But if you want to be like, I want the course right now, resources.katyrussler.com. And you'll also have the link um, below. And then Instagram, you find me at katyrussler. And yeah, I have courses and workshops going all the time. I really love to teach. And it's just whatever in that moment I feel really led to speak on. So Check out my website and check out my social media to know what's going on.
1: Wonderful. Katie, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast. And I hope that we can connect again in the future on more
0: motherhood related topics. Of course. Thank you very much.
1: Hey, mamas, thanks so much for hanging out with me again today. And I hope you've learned a few tools and takeaways that you can either work on independently or consider chatting about and working on with your partner. I guess I just want to wrap up today by saying that parenthood is a complex thing and there is no one correct way to do it. So try not to let yourself or your relationship fall into a negative place. And I'm not trying to be the quote unquote expert. I'm a mom, but I've only been doing this for a few short years. And I'm just here trying to bring some of these struggles out into the open. But remember, if you are feeling like the struggle of motherhood is just too much for you to navigate on your own right now. It might be worth reaching out for help from supportive family and friends or from a counselor or therapist. It's helped me in the past. It helps me in the present. And it could be just the thing for you. And speaking of counseling, I want to thank today's guest and licensed professional counselor, Katie Rossler, for joining me on the podcast. Don't forget to check out her website and course offerings, in particular, the workshops we discussed on kid-proofing your marriage and healthy arguing. You can find the links in this episode's show notes. Okay, that's all for today, mamas. Thanks again for listening. It's such a pleasure to be back, and I hope we can hang out again soon. Until next time. Hey, Mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.